0: Ready to our Life After Downton Abbey episode, hashtag Lada. So, we are going to go through the fabulous messages that all of our um, fans and online friends have sent us and go through some favorite moments, some big themes, and a lot of other stuff about Downton Abbey. I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon in Oakland. I think, that before we get into the voicemails, we should talk about what our favorite moment was from the uh, series, and because I can't pick one, I'm going to let you two go first.
1: (laughs) I can't pick one either. It's funny how really small moments stand out, though. Like, uh, I was thinking about just the look on Mary's face when she first sees the Turk, (laughs) and it's like she's... She slapped the smugness off of her own face because he's so hot. Like, it's images like that. Or I was thinking about something small, like when uh, Isabel takes care of Violet when she's sick, and they play cards together. Just mm. those like little real moments are the ones that sort of float to the top over all the drama, all the murder, all the everything else. It's just those little human moments that really stand out for me.
2: Well, I'm going to go the opposite direction. And my favorite moment in episode is the most dramatic one of the entire season. And that's the episode that Sybil dies. I think it was the best episode of the entire season. I cried so hard. I cry thinking about it. It brought so much great acting to the forefront. I mean, remember Cora in that episode? It's the best acting she did all season. And it was a really smart decision to kill off Sybil because... There's no other way that Edith and Mary would have come together in the end. And it was a really smart move from the story, and it touched me so much. And it's just, it's one of my favorite episodes of TV ever.
1: I lo- i mean, that affected me so hard. I just, I can't call, quite call it a favorite because it's just so awful, too. <laughs>
2: like, uh, like, my dark soul just loves
1: so, it. So sad. <laughs> So yeah, sad. I don't think I've ever had to pause a show because I was crying so hard, except for that episode. Ugh,
0: that ugly cry. I just, I loved it. You know, I feel a little embarrassed to say this, but one of my favorite moments was when Matthew proposes to Mary and the snow is falling, <laughs> and it's really beautiful, and it's sort of the culmination of so much, so many different strands of the story sort of coming together. And, you know, because I've rewatched the whole thing recently, I really felt that that moment was really powerful and and incredibly sweet. And they had such a great chemistry. And in hindsight, I'm really amazed at how great the Matthew and Mary chemistry and storyline was compared to sort of subsequent love stories that they've thrown at her. So mm-hmm. that, that scene still gets me when I see it in the clip shows that they do all the time <laughs> now. <laughs> I really loved it. But the other thing that I really love, which isn't really a moment, it's just a a thing. And it's maybe because I'm not British, but just all the little expressions, the you know, steady on and you never, and um, are you on our side? And of course, I mentioned this last podcast, but my absolute favorite, which is, I can't tell you what it's about, but if you knew, you would agree. Which is I don't know single... if that's a that's of Britishism or Julianism. No. It's yeah, I don't know what it is. I'm really curious because yeah, it is the great plot solver of the whole series. It is
1: um just going back to Matthew and Mary for a second. It, it is totally cheesy when they like kiss in the snow and stuff. I did like how they sort of echoed back to that visually on the series finale. Um but it's also remarkable to think how well they sustained that um, tension over what was for the characters eight years of storyline. <laughs> you pulled it off, Julie. <laughs> we believed that they still pined for each other after eight years.
0: Their emotional lives are so kind of submerged under so many layers of being British that it might take eight years to actually let that all sort of explode. <laughs> It's
2: definitely one of the best love stories that we've seen on TV in the last
0: 10 years. It's a great love story. Okay, so let's dive into questions and moments that you've shared with us. And we're going to open with, I think, is a great opening question. And this comes from Hillary in Boston. And her Twitter handle is underscore Hillary. And here's her question.
3: My question for you all is, which character would you choose to be from both upstairs and downstairs at Downton? I think I would choose Edith from upstairs because even though her love life sucks, she's had the greatest opportunity to be her own person and take on things that interest her, like the magazine. And from downstairs I'd choose Mrs. Patmore because I like cooking but I also like to be bossy even though it means I would never know life's greatest mystery.
0: Thanks so much Hillary. Um Hillary is one of our um favorite liveliest Twitter correspondents and we love uh all the feedback we've gotten from you uh over the years and thank you so much for this question.
2: Yeah, thank you Hillary for this juicy question. And it's especially juicy because of the words that you put choose to be, because I would choose to be Mary upstairs because I get to wear the best clothes, <laughs> I get to be a bitch whenever I want, and everybody forgives me, and I get to fuck Mr. Yum Yum anytime I want. So, <laughs> then downstairs, I would choose to be O'Brien. <laughs> because... I've got my gay bestie. I get to plot and be a bitch whenever I want. And then I just get to go to India. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> bad ever happens to me. I just go to India. And I'm pretty good at doing oh hair. Oh, my God. So I think I would be Marion O'Brien, mainly just because I could be as awful as I want and everybody forgives me all the time. And I get to be plotting oh and wear great outfits. I love that. Well, downstairs, I
1: would be Gwen because I
2: could escape. <laughs> And go on to be on Game of Thrones and and also get to fuck downstairs. Yeah, I could have that
1: awesome, you know, steamy cave sex on Game of Thrones. Upstairs, I don't know. All of them are so unhappy all the time, right? When you really think about
2: it. Well, you could choose I mean, to be a man too. You don't have to I know I could choose
1: it. to be a man and that's what I was saying, like I might choose to be Tom because, you know, he is an upstairs person at the, in the end and he, but he kind of has the freedom to do his own thing in a way that the rest of them maybe don't.
2: But you have to deal with (laughs) Miss (laughs) Bunting.
1: Well, if I was Tom, Miss Bunting never would have been invited to dinner.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, in terms of upstairs, I am just going to be very, very consistent from the very first moment. I Identified with Edith, I would still be Edith. I know Edith has been through a lot of trouble and a lot of shit, but in the end, I think she gets the most interesting life. And I think having an interesting life is is really marvelous. And her clothes are better than Mary's. Come on. Well, near the end. Well, there's an evolution. I just think I'm always kind of with the nerdy girl. That's who I would be. But downstairs, I think it would definitely be Mrs. Hughes, because... I like I like to boss people around. And <laughs> I like here. to be I like to be the one who knows what's going on. I always love that about Mrs. Hughes, that she always kinda knows what's going on. I like that people go to her for her advice, they trust her. She's basically a very kind person, uh, but she doesn't take any shit, which I also really appreciate. So Mrs. Hughes would be my choice for downstairs. Except I wouldn't marry I wouldn't marry Carson, you guys. Thank you. No. I was gonna say we have to be married to Carson. <laughs> Close. no 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 if i was mrs hughes i would not no do if we're gonna be the characters we get to change the things we want to change <laughs> Let's move on to this comment from Jacqueline Friedman. And some of you may know Jacqueline. Um, she's on Twitter at Jacqueline F. And she's the host of the Unscrewed podcast and um, does a lot of really great work in um, feminism. And uh, so it was I'm very a big cool. fan and somehow didn't realize that she paid attention to us and was very excited to see this. <laughs> I know. Well, I I have to, you know, in disclosure, she's a friend of mine. And but she posts on Facebook a lot about Downton Abbey. So I left her a little message and said, Jacqueline, you have to call in. So I'm so glad that that she did. And uh, here's what she had to say.
3: What I am so looking forward to about the finale is the revelation that Edith was our protagonist all along. Right. If you think about it, she's the one who's had the biggest character development arc, and she's the one I think whose happy ending the the finale is gonna focus on. And I think it's so cool that we thought it was about sort of prissy, brittle Mary, whom I love, don't get me wrong, but that actually difficult, independent, misfit Edith has actually been the heroine of our story all along.
1: Jacqueline obviously left this message before the finale and is psychic (laughs) and This is exactly what we loved about the finale, too.
2: Yeah, and I remember when we first started this podcast, and really it started with Therese, Team Edith, and you were always on Team Edith, and I feel like it was kind of a small group that was rooting for Edith, and then over time, I feel like her popularity as a character grew. Do you guys feel that, too?
1: Oh, absolutely. And she was, like, there's a lot of cringy moments in the first season where you're just, like... Ugh, you know, like this that first moment when she asks if she can go on the car ride with Anthony Stralin because Mary turns him down, and it's just like, oh god, girl, like, have some self-respect. But then it all builds to something real. And I think that's a lot of what happened with her in the beginning, is like those moments that make you cringe end up you're rooting for her by the end of that storyline. And then it just builds and builds and builds until like you want her to take over the world.
0: Yeah. I have to say that when she asked if she could go on that ride at the time, it felt cringy, but that was a really baller move on her part to do that. Mm-hmm. Like to just say, Hey, I want to go, you know? And, and so in retrospect, like good girl, you for putting <laughs> yourself out there. Um, And she was the butt of so many jokes in the first season. Um, It was not cool that she wrote to the Turkish embassy. (laughs) That was not cool. Um, But we understood the motivation. Um, But I think we talked about this in our last podcast, too, about how Edith is really the one who is the forward motion in this entire Mm -hmm. series about change. She's the one that, that changes the most. She's the one that lives in a future quite far ahead of all the other people in the show, I think.
2: Absolutely. I mean, she definitely has the most evolution. So yes, Jacqueline, this story is about Edith. We agree.
0: (laughs) We agree. And, you know, I mean, I'm really glad that Julian agrees with us too and gave her the sort of climactic scenes in the finale. Um, But I didn't have that much faith in him for a long time. So I wasn't entirely sure what he would do with her.
1: Oh, I was expecting Julian to burn the house down by the end of things. So, you know, I'm I'm glad that he came through for us and gave our favorite characters happy endings.
0: So our next um, contribution is from Kate in San Francisco. And uh, she's got a really sweet story to share with us. One thing I especially loved was finding out that my grandmother,
3: my 88-year-old grandmother, loved Downton Abbey as well. So there was this one moment when I was visiting her and I we were just bonding. It was we were at a loud bar and we were bonding over Downton Abbey and I shared like tidbits from your guys' podcast, including how we all thought that um Edith's mother was really Aunt Rosamund. I shared that with my grandma and we just bonded over this information and we loved this and Uh, We were both certain that that was going to be how the show turned out, but it didn't. But anyway, thank you guys so much for letting me have this moment with my grandma where we could bond over information on Downton Abbey.
1: I love this anecdote because um, my own dearly departed grandmother, we used to watch the soap Guiding Light together and, like, obsess over the characters. So I think, like, that's one of the reasons I like soapy stories so much is because you can, like, just bond over them. Because everybody's got an opinion, right? Like, that's the point, is to have an opinion about what's going on. Um, so I, I really love this story. And I loved our Mama Ross theme. And I really wish that that had turned out to be true in so many ways. Although, honestly, there were some such good moments with Cora and Robert and Edith in those final episodes that I wouldn't want to trade those either. So I think we can just have sort of, like, an alternate Downton world where that would have happened and it would have been cool, but it, it worked out well in the end anyway.
2: Well, it, maybe it'll be like J.K. Rowling, and years from now, Julian's gonna come out and say, You know what, guys? Rosamond was Edith's mom all along. I just didn't have the balls to write it in there.
1: I honestly think, you know, we've had a lot of spin off ideas, we've had a lot of our crazy fan theories, but uh, a show about what Rosman's life really was there's se- she has secrets like I want to know what they are oh yeah <laughs> just look at that actress's face like you know that there's something else going on there so I would watch like an entire like parallel show about young Rosman so fast
2: absolutely I'd watch one about Rosamond now I mean you know she's got some some bows in London and she's going out for cocktails
0: uh well Mama Roz I think was our favorite uh Downton conspiracy hashtag but we had a lot of other ideas Yes I
1: I had forgotten about our theory that Mosley would end up being the heir to Downton <laughs> until someone who was listening to back episodes mentioned it on Facebook <laughs> I mean I mean Mosley did rise to greatness right mm-hmm. It's slightly different to take over the schoolhouse than to take over the manor house but um we knew that there were great things in store for him Having a house this as big as down would stress me out. I live in a studio apartment and I like it. I want the cottage too.
2: And some of ours didn't come true. Boyfriend for Barrow. Still holding out in the spinoff series that he can get that cowboy we're all dreaming of.
1: I, I he owes us. Like if the Gilded Age ever happens, I I wanna redo. Like you have to give us the parallel storyline in America now. Like I just, I, I'm gonna start writing him letters.
0: Okay, so we had one more um, hashtag that we were very fond of and used a lot, and that was the famous hashtag, fuck you Bates. Yep. On the topic of uh, Mr. Bates, um, let's listen to Rebecca from Seattle. Uh, her Twitter handle is at Brinsonian, and she had this to say.
3: Do you remember back in season one when Bates was a sympathetic character and actually sort of intended as a point of view for the audience and you could relate to him? wasn't that funny and different just an observation
2: i don't remember that because i just remember hating him from the beginning and you know i haven't gone back and listened to our first season podcast but i've always hated bates fuck you (laughs) fuck you bates
1: my dislike for him evolved he and anna were cute in season one but i also remember being very frustrated with him because it was one of these storylines where like some you know O'Brien is actively sabotaging him and doing things like kicking his cane out from under him and everything. And he's just very adamant that he won't defend himself or explain anything that's happened. You know, there's just this like martyr complex going on that later, you know, turns into oh, I'll just stay in prison for the rest of my life. It's fine. Just go away, Anna. And, you know, the seeds of it were there from the beginning and that kind of stuff bothers me where a character won't Um, actually say something because they think people should be able to figure it out on their own. It's just, it's not great plotting, and it's very frustrating to watch. So I think, you know, he was sympathetic in that you felt bad that he would have to leave Downton when he was falling in love with Anna and stuff, but he kind of brought a lot of it on himself. I feel like most of his problems he brought on himself.
2: Do you think it's because he was trying to cover up that he was actually a murderer because brandy you and i believe that he did kill vera so maybe he's just like i've got to be such a nice guy i'm so passive that you'll never suspect that i killed my wife
1: it's all part of the theme yeah i i mean i still believe he poisoned that fucking pie
0: he totally did Okay, so we're gonna to listen to a few messages together because they're all on the subject of change, which we know is a really big theme in this whole series. So we're gonna to listen to some comments from Mike Schultz, who is at Mike Schultz on Twitter. Uh, also Jen, who is from Seattle and her Twitter handle is Unreally Andrews. And finally, Sarah from Portland, Oregon, whose Twitter handle is, I hope I get this right, Ra is Ra is Ra take it away.
3: My favorite moments on Downton Abbey are always whenever they introduce new technologies. You know, I'm thinking of like the toaster or the telephone or um, whatever that birth control device was that Mary made Anna go get. Um, but my, my favorite of all the new technologies that they ever introduced um, was that time that Sybil wore the lady pants. Lady Pants, my favorite moment. My favorite Downton moments are anytime anyone was ever befuddled by or dismayed by new modern technology like the refrigerator or typewriters or the wireless or any new thing that this was causing a lot of uproar. Um, And I really, really love uh, the second to last episode where um, Mary and Edith had their talk and hopefully are on the road to being more sisterly. I just wanted to say that I would love to say that it was uh Tom calling Mary a bully or Edith calling Mary a bitch. Uh but really it was mostly uh talking about the class struggles and education is important and the different uh really the changing times of servant versus working class.
0: Yeah, I think that the introduction of new and incredibly dangerous things like electricity was always a great comic theme running through the whole uh, series. And I'm really glad that they got one last one in that hairdryer in the finale. That was really awesome. And um, I think Sybil's lady pants, as Mike calls them, is a lot of people's favorite, one of their favorites.
1: I love the idea of the pants. I mean, she looks like she's basically doing Jasmine from Aladdin. You know, we have, we have a, a different perspective than perhaps she did. Uh, but it's just, it's, it just—it's—it was an early, beautiful symbol of her spirit and the idea of um, wanting more for a woman. You know, and because Sybil was, you know, the third daughter and didn't have all this pressure on her like Mary had and probably didn't have the sort of uh, self-esteem issues that Edith had. <laughs> she could be the one to just like try out these new crazy ideas and then ultimately you know run off with the cute chauffeur. So and Tom loved the pants. When you rewatch that episode and he's like looking at her through the window in her pants and he has a like, grin on his face. You know that's the moment he falls in love with her. A little creepy but
0: sweet also yeah. <laughs>
1: A little creepy, but sweet is basically Tom's whole thing during their courtship, so.
0: I also like the evolution of, like, you know, the evolution of hairstyles. Like, when Mary cuts her hair really short is, like, a really big deal. It's really nice that she does that when she finally rides a horse astride in pants.
1: Oh, I love that moment.
0: (laughs) And, um, you know, when Black Tie invades the formal dining room and Granny thinks that Robert is a waiter... And she just she's just completely <laughs> <laughs> beside herself, so I think those things were all really lovely little comedic touches, I think, but I guess the really big big change theme was the evolution of the lower classes, quote unquote uh, the working classes getting education, being able to um, move into the middle class, and the diminishment of the upper classes.
1: We've referenced this recent interview with Julian. Where he talks about this and he talks about sort of what happened with the upper class families going forward and how so much of what he put into these later seasons with the evolution of the way that the family thinks about the estate, the way they're running things, um, is because he wants them to survive and the only ones who did were the ones who started thinking about it more from that sort of like business progress perspective rather than just about, you know, we're the upper class and you're the lower class. Um, so I think it's, it's nice to think about it that way, that, you know, everybody had to kind of change together in order to better everyone's lives. You know, it's idealistic because we know what's coming in reality. But for the characters
0: within the show to end with everybody basically having hope, it's nice. So the next one is from Paula Kamen, whose Twitter handle is Paula Kamen, and Paula Kamen is a big fan of Downton Abbey and Downton Gabby, and she actually wrote about us um, in an article a couple of years ago, which was very exciting. Um, so, Thank you, Paula. Thank you very much, Paula, and here's what she had to say.
3: I just wanted to say my favorite Downton Abbey moment, or is any that has lots of rich people in it. Very good for escape. The ones beneath the stairs don't really uh, do it to the same degree.
0: So I think this raises a, a really interesting uh, point, which I think I think that a lot of the appeal of the show for a lot of people is the escapism. You know, the, the guilty pleasure of watching people with lots of money, um, gorgeous clothes, servants that do every fucking thing for them. Um, <laughs> as much as we talk about the class issues that come up on the show, I do think there's a little part of us, if we were to be honest, which just really enjoys watching rich people being rich. I know that I have <laughs> fantasized <laughs> about just not really ever having to do anything or think about anything, you know, just for a week. That would be great.
1: I think it's really all about the clothes for me, that escapism, that, uh, there's definitely times when we complained that a certain episode didn't have any sort of like dinner or gathering or gala and we didn't get to see enough fashion. So I feel like that's really where the escapism came in for me is just, the you know, dressing up is fun. <laughs> uh, more, than, more than the food or the other riches or anything else, just like, fucking clothes are fun. <laughs> I love them, <that.
2: laughs> you know? sparkly headbands, silky robes we've loved it all. I mean you know if I had an excuse
1: to wear sequins on a regular basis in my daily life I have an entire section of my closet that's sequined things and all of them I've probably worn like once or twice because like when do you get to wear that shit? Like I'm not eccentric enough to pull that off. I I would have to be invited to many more fancy parties than I am so at least I can see it on TV.
0: I think for this coming week you should wear some sequined item every single day and just see how it feels. See how it works. <laughs> I challenge my you new just, just for a week. I think you should. <laughs> you know, the other thing about this escapist fantasy is that although we are told repeatedly in articles and by Alistair Bruce in the manners of Danton Abbey shows, how hard the servants worked and how generally shitty their lives were. It's not quite portrayed that way in the show. Mm-hmm. In the show, you know, in the show, they have time to have tea and read the paper and uh, smoke outside and go into town for a hundred different excuses. I think that if we really had a realistic idea of what, like, Daisy's life was like in the first couple seasons, this show would not have been quite as fun to watch.
1: Yeah, you think about, like, you watch, like suffragette or something that takes place during (laughs) the same era and you see like the factory workers and stuff and you're like oh yeah that's what the revolution was about
0: exactly and the (laughs) sexual harassment that was I think almost constant
1: yeah that's an element we didn't have to deal with on this show that would have been very very real for the women for sure
0: I think this is this is not historical drama this is escapist soap opera um and we're I'm okay with that it's a bit of a fantasy. Several people did write us about a lot of moments that they loved in the show. Um, so let's go to Megan from Kansas, who is on Twitter at Lucas Meg. And uh, she has a favorite moment from season one.
3: Basically, my favorite moment is season one, back in simpler times with O'Brien as Thomas's sidekick, partner in crime and mayhem, back, you know, causing Cora's miscarriage, constantly going out to smoke and plot, back when Mary and Edith were newly trying to ruin each other's lives, what with, you know, a dead Turk in the bed and Edith trying to marry Anthony Strahl in the first time. Those were good good times.
2: You know, those were good times with O'Brien. I mean, the soap incident was one of my top favorite capers of the entire show. (laughs) Long live the soap. So yeah, there's a lot of grease up. And I mean, the dead Turk in the bed. It's pretty hard to top that. It never gets old.
1: Rewatching
2: it. (laughs) Watching three ladies carry a body,
0: you know, it never gets old. The soap, uh, caper, as you call it, Shannon, um, That was pretty heavy duty. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cora slips and falls, has a miscarriage, loses the son, uh, loses a baby uh, who happens to be the future heir.
1: It was dark and it was a good moment for Cora and Robert, which is, you know, their relationship has been something we've discussed a lot and appreciated the evolution of a lot despite um, missteps such as, you know, Jane the Maid who we should <laughs> not actually speak of.
0: Um, Never again.
1: But yeah, that, that storyline was ballsy. You know, it really was. And I think uh, O'Brien felt the reverberations of that as well. So I, I, that's one of my favorite storylines too. I think just, you know, if you're going to write a soap, fucking go for it. And there's a lot of moments when Julian went for it, and that's one of them.
0: Okay, uh, our next uh, our next favorite moment comes from Monica, who is Miss Monica on Twitter and is from Twin Falls, Idaho.
3: I my favorite moments are pretty much anyone with Maggie Smith or um, also Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Padmore um, plotting together. were just lovely, and especially the whole wedding night talk was. perfect and lovely
2: um yeah mrs hughes and mrs patmore is one of our all-time favorite friendships and it was really brought to a head with the whole wedding talk of I think we got a lot of mrs patmore being a little sad that mrs hughes is entering this world and learning the mysteries of life that she's never has but also what a good friend that she was that she's gonna go have this talk with Carson one of the best scenes of the entire series about whether he expects them to have sex in their married life. It was the best example of a friend going the extra mile for another friend.
1: It was a wonderful scene, both funny and touching, and just, yeah, loved it, loved it.
2: We should all rise to the challenge of being Mrs. Patmore for our friends.
1: And I really appreciate this because I think they uh, Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Patmore, their friendship wasn't such an element early on, particularly because Mrs. Patmore was you know, fairly unpleasant in season one while she was dealing with her impending blindness. Mm. Um, so that really is nice that it was pulled out more and more as they each sort of turn to each other to face, you know, people from their past showing up or... Uh, health scares and all of these things that you really do need your friends for, particularly when you're single women, right? And then getting to see that even after Mrs. Hughes wasn't a single woman anymore, that they would still be there for each other. I I eat up that kind of shit. I love it. I love female friendship storylines and the like, weathering the storm together storylines. It's beautiful stuff.
0: The two scenes with Mrs. Patmore and Mr. Carson when they're having that discussion and the moment that he realizes... Uh, what they're really talking about. And she's like, yeah, yes, I, I think we've got there now. Um, <laughs> I think I think that's a
1: one-liner. I'm... Queen of the one-liners. Yes.
0: <laughs> I mean it was it was it was just such a brilliant bit of comedic acting and it makes me really, really wish and hope that we're going to see them together in some other show or film in the future because that generation of actors on the show are mm-hmm. all just so outstanding. So uh, such funny. a to watch.
1: Leslie Nichol is amazing. I really hope we get to see her do more comedy because those comedic moments are just perfection.
0: Yeah, sure. Her timing is fabulous. Um, and so here's another favorite moment from Valerie from Duluth, Minnesota. And she's on Twitter at Valerie Coit. My favorite moment from Downton is in the first season when Matthew finally
3: lets Mosley help him get dressed with the cufflinks or something. And I just loved it. It made me cry and I got so excited over something so small. And I think that was one of the charms of the show.
1: I've been re-watching season one, as I've said a couple of times, and I also had a tear in my eye re-watching this moment because, I don't know, I've always had a super soft spot for Mosley, and it's just nice. And it's also like one of those things, like I was saying before, where a very small moment represents a bigger thing, and so you're watching Matthew become something in that moment, mm. and all he did was like let Mosley button his cufflink, or I don't even know, cuff his cufflink? I don't, I don't, I don't know, (laughs) but it's, it's nice. And also, you know, one of the things that this show does that again, is not necessarily rooted in reality is let the people care about each other across classes in that way. And so he did that for Mosley, and it's very, very, very sweet.
2: Well, we're all writers and we know how hard it is to come up with that moment that says so much. And I think Mm -hmm. that was one of those moments that said so much about Matthew's growth and Mosley's value
1: and you know that's something this show does too that maybe from our perspective we don't give quite enough credit is there are those little moments between men that are very nice Mm -hmm. and uh we talk a lot about the lady friendships but I mean I think not necessarily a full-blown friendship but that like sort of mutual appreciation that they had and you know thinking about how Mosley's life was disrupted by Matthew's death coming down the line yeah. it's hard not to think about all of that when you re-watch those early moments
2: it's interesting that you're talking about the moments between two men because I was thinking uh, a bookend to this moment it's Sybil learning how to cook the cake she doesn't even know how to make tea yeah <laughs>
1: and I love that storyline too I love that yeah
2: it's just these special moments across classes where people are helping each other and, yeah, caring about each other and helping each other grow. It's beautiful. So, yeah, my friend Albert, a huge menswear fan and Downton Abbey fan, sent me an email saying, you know what I'm going to miss most about Downton Abbey? The menswear. It fits so well. (laughs) And as we've learned from watching Project Runway, (laughs) it's really hard to make menswear. So, you know, I want to give a shout-out to these jackets. I
1: mean, even now, you know, when you see these, like, you know, GQ photo shoots of Michael B. Jordan or some other incredibly attractive man. The real... Like, I would rather see the shot of them in the three-piece suit than the shot of them shirtless, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's ridiculously hot. And we probably have taken that for granted over the years. But uh, the costumes for the men are great. And I think, like, uh, I can really see my appreciation for that through watching the early seasons and then you see you first see Tom in his like full-blown chauffeur's outfit and he's fucking adorable but then the fact that we also he's the only character we got to see in something like that and then also in a like white tie later on and uh it is great it you know they they look delicious in their in their tuxedos so
0: we know that the characters have learn some life lessons from each other. Um, this next clip uh, talks about a life lesson that uh, Sarah from Seattle learned, and Sarah is at Sarah Rose Ten Four Five Six, and here's what she had to say.
3: I feel like Downton, when Sybil died, and then as her husband was rushing to Mary's bed to see the birth of their first child, uh, he died in a car accident. It just reminds us all that we shouldn't get too happy in life. Um, or the murders of Downton will kill you
0: immediately. And that stuck with me through all these years. So reminding us that we shouldn't get too happy in life, which made me laugh out loud.
1: Sarah is my very good friend, and she is just trolling me here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Sarah for reminding me that you know so many people had their happiness ripped away from them over the course of the show but it all worked out for everyone in the end right
0: Our request for you all to send us favorite moments prompted several uh, thoughts and reminiscences that have to do with the hospital storylines so the first one is from Vanessa in Los Angeles who on Twitter is Midge says And this is what Midge had to say.
3: I've been thinking about my favorite Downton Abbey moment, and I've narrowed it down to when the Abbey was turned into a hospital for a couple of reasons. One, my nana was a nurse in England from 1910 to 1950, so this was definitely her era. And those episodes of Downton Abbey inspired me to research her life. And it turns out she was quite the baller, having a wonderful career at a time when most women didn't, and continuing her career even after she married. And I'm proud to have learned that my Nana was an early feminist. Also, uh, it was a wonderful time to see Cousin Isabel in action and Lady Sybil start to come into her own. Definitely a defining feminist moment in the series, and that's why I've chosen it as my favorite.
1: I was recently talking to a friend of mine about... Abbey in general um, and how it, it... this second season was probably its weakest season a lot in a lot of this um, choppy storytelling and yet I appreciate it more and more the more I think about it because it showed this story of a war story and usually when you hear the phrase war story you automatically think about the men on the front and all of that the violence and I love that we got to see all of that happened through the lens of what was going on with the women's work back home. And I think those are some of the untold stories that are, you know, even Call the Midwife is starting to tell some of those stories as well. It's not wartime, but it's, it's, it's a similar thing where the, um, the women's stories and how families and uh, friendships weathered the storm are, are the important thing. Not necessarily just the drama of the, of the front.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love stories about the Civil War. I love stories about World War II. Because, yeah, this gave opportunity for women to let go of the shackles of what society expects of them and actually get to do a job. It must have been so goddamn boring to be women back in the day where all you had to do was knit, pour tea, get dressed. You know, so yeah, it's really exciting to see Sybil and Isabel and Cora have stuff to do.
1: And just to acknowledge on a bigger, like, sort of systems level that women had to step up to do this kind of work in order for anything to continue functioning. Which I feel like is not necessarily something that gets a lot of credit outside of what, like, t-shirts with Rosie the Riveter on them these days. Like, it's a bigger story than that. And shows like this can can tell those stories and start to, you know, fill in that history. I, even if you're going to throw
0: old melty bandage face in the middle of it, I still appreciate it. <laughs> so some of these hospital storylines were a little bit more like soap opera uh, than others. And uh, Melissa Morgan Lander, who's on Twitter as Covert Co-Viewer, uh, mentioned this one. This happened, I think, in season
3: two. Um it was when Cousin Matthew got injured in the war and he was paralyzed for life um and he suddenly stood up um and was able to walk uh that just kind of i mean it almost made me want to stop watching because it was so ridiculous um it just reminded me of soap operas, of American soap operas, and ridiculous plot lines. And I'm wondering what you guys thought of that moment.
1: Yeah, we made fun of this moment a little bit in our finale podcast. And then I was watching uh, PBS's montage they put together of, like, 50 most memorable down moments. And when he finally stands up from his chair and Robert's just like, My God, good chap! Or something ridiculous. <laughs> like, it, that moment has not gotten better with time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it really hasn't. And, and it does remind me of all the um, important misdiagnoses of this show. I think they rely on misdiagnosis as an important plot point as much as if I, if I told you you would agree with me. Um, so we've got poor Sybil and the class conflict between the two doctors' diagnoses... We've got, um, we've got Lavinia getting better and suddenly dropping dead conveniently. (laughs) Um, of course we've got Dickie's recent, um, misdiagnosis. Um, you know, it's great that Anna actually made it through seeing a Harley street physician without losing her baby and dying because the odds were not with her. So we heard from uh, Rebecca a bit earlier in the podcast about Bates, but she also had some things to say about one of our favorite female friendships.
3: I would like to talk about how much I love anything with Isabel and Violet. I'm not sure I can pick a specific scene, but in my mind, they have been the only example of friendship like true friendship in the show that has an actual arc uh you know edith and her editor have something going but everyone else either has power issues and definitely isabel and and violet had that earlier in the show but they've leveled out in a way that is very satisfying and they clearly care about each other a lot which i remember y'all talked about in the past and uh but part of it is also that they are extremely british where they do love each other but they can never talk about their feelings directly one of them can needle the other one about her feelings but they can never actually be straightforward about it but that leads to good quips so that's pretty great um, so hearts for anything with Isabel and Violet
2: so yeah my other favorite female friendship is Violet and Isabel, and You know, it's kind of like that classic rom-com of like, they hate each other, then they love each other, (laughs) then they kind of hate each other a little bit more, and then they decide to be best friends forever. And it was just such a great friendship to see evolve over time. And I know, Brandy, you mentioned that moment of her and Isabel nursing Violet um, Mm -hmm. when she was sick. And it was just such a sweet moment between the two of them. And then, of course, Violet storming down to take care of Dickie's dumb daughter-in-law to get her man for Isabel was wonderful and you know it's interesting that the two female friendships that we're praising are both older women because Edith and Mary didn't really have female friendships and they didn't have a sisterly bond so it's pretty cool that the older women got these juicy friendship storylines. Absolutely
1: and it is too bad that we weren't able to see that as a part of Edith and Mary's lives. At least Edith had Rosamond who I think, you know, had sort of a motherly-slash-friendship combination going on. Uh, I do. That's one of the things that is a lost opportunity on this show, is Mary forming a true bond with another woman. I think would have been very interesting to see. But I guess but, Anna. Yeah, but it was, you know... Th- there was always some other thing going on. You know, it was never... It was never on equal footing and it you know so much of it was about helping Anna with Bates. He was always there in the background. Um, I like I like their relationship but I don't think it quite dove into what women supporting each other can really look like the same way that these other friendships we've talked about have and Isabel and Violet are just perfect forever.
0: I'm also really glad that their conversation was the last conversation of the series. And it, it sort of echoed the, the whole thing we've seen before with Granny not wanting to go forward and Isabel rolling her eyes at something Granny says. And uh, it's just lovely that they got the last words.
2: You know, the more I'm thinking about it, we really have to give props to Julian for keeping Isabel on the show. She, mm-hmm. He could have easily written her out after Matthew's death. And instead, she got the best storylines of the entire, her
0: entire arc after Matthew died.
1: That's a great point.
0: Yeah, Matthew dying did a real favor to Isabel and to Mary, who would have been relegated to mother of main male character and wife of main male character. Right. And him him dying actually gave them much better storylines, I think, than they would have gotten otherwise.
1: Even I agree as someone who has argued that killing Matthew was a bad choice. And I know, I know it was about the actors wanting to leave the show, Sybil and Matthew too. Uh, But I I do agree that that it opened up a new world of storytelling for these characters and two incredible actresses to be able to play this range of emotions that came after the death i i appreciated watching that i appreciated watching them sort of uh be able to support each other in small ways when they were dealing with that loss on their own
0: and then taking that arc all the way to the end of the series where they meet in the cemetery after mary has made her peace with matthew about marrying again and isabel is there to give her blessings
1: It's a really wonderful scene. Beautiful
0: moment. It's a wonderful scene and it takes them full circle together, which is also really lovely. Okay. Um, I just want to mention that we got uh, a great post on Facebook today from Dolores Reed Little, who wrote that she had just discovered our podcast about two weeks ago and she listened to them all. uh, And it made a very boring business trip fly by. So, Thank you so much, Dolores. And we really apologize for the audio quality of the earlier episodes. So, this brings up uh, a question about sort of rewatching the show. And um, I know a lot of people have already started rewatching the show. Um, and I Me, think I'm going to give I it didn't. a little bit of a break. That's right. Brandy just started rewatching the show. <laughs> I rewatched the whole thing before season six started. Um, Shannon, do you have any plans? You know,
2: I haven't yet. I mean, I do want to go back and watch season one, but honestly, there's just so much good TV on right now and always that I don't go back and rewatch things often unless I'm sick or sad about something. And I feel like Downton Abbey is now going to be up there with LA Complex as my comfort shows when life sucks.
1: LA Complex is so good. So good. <laughs> yeah, it's so
2: good.
0: Canadian show, another Canadian show. Yep.
1: Yes. I I always rewatch shows that I really love, and usually I do like what you did, Teresa, for and watch the early seasons again before a new one starts. I just didn't have time this time, but I've done that with so many shows. I used to do that with this all the way back to the Sopranos, like every year, watch the whole thing again. Uh, so I love rewatching things. I love thinking about how the storytelling built over time, and just analyzing it from kind of a writer's perspective how these evolutions have happened. I love getting super nerdy.
0: So it's available on Amazon prime for free. If anyone like me has Amazon prime, that's how I watched it. Um, And um, I I heard from one of our Twitter friends who lives in the UK who says that their coping mechanism is just to keep rewatching them over and over and over again. And she's seen the whole series four times now. Well, I can't talk. I read every Harry Potter book eight times, so I get it. (laughs) So we've done a lot of reminiscing about the show. So now let's look into the future a bit. This next question is from Emily Griswold from Atlanta. Her Twitter handle is E Griswold. And this was her question.
3: I would like to know what you think the influence that you'd like to see from Downton Abbey that would be transferred to other shows in the future. What do you think will be its lasting influence?
2: One of the lasting influences I would like to see from down on other shows, is the emphasis on female friendship. And especially friendship between older women who don't see eye to eye on things or take different paths in life. One is married, one is single, um, one loves change, one hates change, you know, and it's so rare to see female friendship at all on TV. And oftentimes, they're a little too similar to each other. Like, we're friends because we do everything the same together. So it's nice to see these diverse friendships of women can still love each other and not agree on everything.
0: One of the things I would really like to see and I'm a little afraid of is that people will take the success of Downton Abbey and translate it to mean, oh, people like really opulent period pieces with lush costumes and um, settings and lots of soap opera and really miss the fact that this show really was incredibly well-written had a real variety of characters, gave the characters full personalities, backstories, um, really helped us understand what made them tick. And, uh, and that's the hardest part, of course, is writing the thing well. So I hope the lasting influence will also be similar to what Shannon just said, focusing on really good writing and not just taking the easy path to we're going to put some women in gowns and uh, that's fine.
1: Unfortunately, anytime you get a big hit of any kind of sort of new genre, you're going to see a lot of inferior rip offs, you know, like, you know, you can look at something like Star Wars in the 70s, and all the like shitty space operas that came afterwards, you are gonna have the inferior copies, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, like Netflix and their Marco Polo, which was supposed to be the next Game of Thrones, but... What I heard about that show was that there weren't good character development and that's what Game of Thrones really does well is characters. So yes, if you're gonna copy down, I want sparkly headbands, yes, but give me good juicy characters.
1: Yeah, the reason we can enjoy those so much is because it's frosting on the cake, right? And I guess one of the things that I'm already seeing is that downton's popularity in the u.s and the success it was for pbs to the point where they were getting better ratings than some like nbc and fox some weekends uh is their ability to pull in other uh european shows to show them and not just british shows i don't know if it was everywhere but KC, kcet here in la showed borgin uh and which if you haven't watched borgin like it has almost nothing to do with Downton and yet it has everything to do with Downton because it's about this this strong woman facing these challenges, changing times, multiple characters you can really count on and care about, and they do have conflicting agendas, and you find yourself torn between characters you care about on different sides
2: of different issues. Yeah, and, you know, Downton is kind of similar to the Marvel movies. There's been all this great merchandising, you know, World Market had this <laughs> whole Downton <laughs> line the Downton Abbey wine. I mean, I want to buy it all
0: guys. I do. Is that a good thing? It is because you know what?
2: It is if
1: it means they're going to make more stories like that because they're making money in multiple avenues. I mean, that's the reality, right? Yeah.
2: And it's like that honors fandom. And I love that. It's like honoring fandom of adult women, (laughs) which I'm not a part of the Marvel world. You know, there are no heroes in there for me, but Downton has a lot of heroes for me. And I love that it made PBS relevant again. It made it a powerhouse on TV. There's merchandising.
0: Downton was one of the most successful shows on TV. One thing that I would really like to see happen, and this is partly because of the quality of the show and partly because of the quality of the fandom, frankly, is to take shows like Downton Abbey more seriously. As actually worthwhile of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this before that, you know, there's lots of talk about Breaking Bad and Mad Men and a lot of like guy, seemingly guy topics, although we're fans of both those shows, um, and not giving any respect to shows that take place more in their domestic sphere. Um, I would I would really like more serious thought being given to shows like that and what they say about our world um as much as, you know, shows about drug dealers and nineteen sixties ad executives.
2: Definitely.
1: Yeah, and you know, we've I think we've mentioned uh, our respects for Shonda Rhimes and what she does on the show before, but I think you know, I, I want to see her world opening doors for other things as well um, and not just counting on her herself to keep producing
0: new shows. One thing that I think I would also like to see, which actually Downton Abbey has not done a very good job of paving the way for, is more stories about people of color, more stories about queer characters that uh, don't just enrage us. Um... These kinds of stories, these long form melodramas, very high quality, well written, can be told about anybody. They can be taken anywhere, in any milieu. I
2: think Empire is very similar to Downton. So, you know, there are, we are seeing this format taken to different worlds and, and including other communities instead of just rich white people in England. Yeah, even Jane the Virgin kind of has elements of Downton.
1: Yeah, that's a great example. And that show has been... It's its one of my favorite shows. It, I, I look forward to it every week. The cast is easily the most diverse on TV, I think. And it has that same kind of really consistent character storytelling where you can see them grow, but everything feels earned.
2: Yeah, like I would almost put in the same category... The Dowager, Cookie, and Rogelio. <laughs> oh my God, I would watch that talk show. <laughs> can we just Can we just put all three characters
0: into a cocktail party together and just have a hidden camera? That would be so great. I'm just, I'm just imagining this. Oh, I'm just so happy right now thinking about that.
2: Oh, that is so great. That's probably the best um, thing I've said on the entire podcast. <laughs>
1: you're going out on a high note. All
0: right, I'm done. Here's another great comment we've already heard from Rebecca, um, but she also had this to ask us.
3: What does it mean to watch television like this in the era of Twitter? Like, what does that mean for live TV? Because for a while, obviously, the death knell of anybody watching anything other than sports, right, was uh, not going to happen, right? You could just DVR it and come back to it later. But there's this added value of being in this virtual living room and watching shows with other people like we all do with Downton Abbey. So uh, I'm just wondering what you think lends a show to being friendly, to um, having a lively online following. And what do you think that means for scripted or unscripted TV and um, how we're going to view and engage with narratives like that in the future? So
2: when we started adding live tweeting over the last two years, this has really enriched the viewing experience for me. I have so looked forward to doing the live tweet with all of our Twitter fans and coming up with jokes together and reacting together. And it's just been such a great community to show the sh- to share the show with.
1: I mean, I'm a huge Twitter fan in general. I love live tweeting things. I'm always live tweeting the like award shows and this and that Um but the small down community is very special to me. And it reminds me of even just like going back to like junior high when the next day after a new episode of Dawson's Creek, people <laughs> would be like gathered around a locker talking about what happened. Like I love that shit. That's half the fun of watching anything is then discussing your reactions with your friends. And I think to be able to do that in real time and to make new th- friends through that, I mean, there are some fucking hilarious comments we've gotten from the people that we're live-tweeting with. I just appreciate it so much. I'm, I'm really going to miss that, and I hope that we can sort of come together for other events that are going to happen and just, like, invite people to just keep talking to us about anything that we're tweeting about. Like, you know where to find us.
2: Yeah, I would really encourage all of you to tweet at us what show you would like us to live-tweet through, because... You know, there's not really the same mix of, you know, good, juicy storytelling and just silly stuff to make fun of than Downton. And so we're not really sure what we're going to live tweet next. So please let us know what you're watching and what you would like to live tweet with us about.
0: And also to all of our friends on Facebook who have also been really awesome and have left great comments and have suggested other shows for us to watch. Um, Thank you so much. Really, this community is great. Um, we're going to wrap up our um, comments with this last one from Birgit, who calls from New York City, who, you know, is just super sweet. So here we go.
3: I just wanted to say I've been so wrapped up in being sad about Downton Abbey ending, but then today, listening to your most recent podcast, I'm more devastated that Downton Gabby is ending. I think I'll miss you girls the most. Anyway, I hope that you'll continue your your podcast after the series ends and talk about other things we all want to laugh about and think about. Well,
1: while Don Nabby is over, you know we like talking to each other and to you guys about anything, and uh, we have done it before in the past, and so we will keep doing it in the future to talk about other things going on in pop culture from that. Funny feminist, foul mouth perspective that we like so much. And again, we really want to hear your feedback about what you want to hear us talk about because it's an open
2: road at this point. Definitely. And we'll probably go back to our once a month podcasts and doing some TV roundups and maybe focusing on some themes that cross several different shows or movies. So definitely give us a shout out about what you're watching, what you want us to talk about, what themes you're seeing across shows that you want to hear a perspective on. For instance, uh, based on the outrage over the killing of a gay character on The 100, we are putting together a podcast um, with some guest stars about the treatment of gay characters on TV today, which we of course have a lot to say about Thomas. And we'll be bringing in some examples from some different shows. So if you have some feelings about that, of good and bad examples, uh, please tweet at us or send us a message on Facebook. As we are in our Life After Downton Abbey podcast, just want to take this moment and just say how appreciative I am to have shared these seasons with both of you, Therese and Brandy, and all of our podcast fans
1: yeah, when we started this experiment, you know, I can picture myself like sitting on the floor of my old apartment, getting frustrated at the technology we were trying to use to record four voices at once. Um, shout out to Rachel Horowitz who started this with us and wasn't able to continue because of you know having small children, but we love you, <laughs> and um, uh, it, it. I wouldn't have imagined that we would build on it the way that we have, but it's been such a valuable experience. I love being able to talk about media in depth in this kind of way. And I also just love building a community. So this is a great way for both of those things to come together. And I'm glad we're going to continue on um, and see what comes next.
0: Um, I'm just going to co-sign everything that Shannon and Brandy just said. And I just want to let you know that all of our podcasts are going to be available on iTunes and at downtowngabby.tumblr.com. So if any of you are going to rewatch the series, please take us along. We start in season two um, and uh, you can just re-listen to everything or apparently you can just listen to all the podcasts just by themselves and um, spend a very pleasant uh, 50 hours or so <laughs> with that. I also want to remind you that we have done other podcasts and we'll, we'll, incorporate those into one place. So if you want to listen to our podcasts about a season of Mad Men um, and a season of sort of general media commentary under damsels and discussion, those are, those will be available too. So thanks again, everybody. We will see you in April for our next podcast. Please keep tweeting us at Downton Gabby. Talk to us on Facebook at Downton Gabby and find us at downtongabby.tumblr.com. Thank you again, everybody. And we'll see you next time.
3: Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne
0: me smile the way every year we drink to the future whatever it may bring well what else could we drink to we're going forward to the future not back into the past if only we had the choice